Assemble! We don't mess around. We don't waste time. Over here at His Hard Line. Let's go! from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the, the people. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. <laughs> Greetings and good day to all you ladies and gentlemen out there. Jason, your co-host with our sovereign Lord and Savior Christ Jesus at our side because he is the host with the most and the most high. He is in charge and he is in the captain's chair at the helm the wheel and therefore he is steering this great ship through these crazy rough waters that we call life so welcome to his hard line today is saturday september 16th 2023 and you are listening to episode 603 we'll be doing a reading out of the magna carta this will be a part three title is how do we get here and then we'll be doing a reading out of job chapter two but first a quick disclaimer I want to clarify that I am not a doctor, holistic health expert, financial advisor, pastor, priest, deacon, biblical scholar, or bar lawyer, and I do not possess any titles of nobility or offer legal advice, and I do not have a political degree or have had any involvement with any unconstitutional three-letter corrupt agencies like the CIA or FBI. And while I am a member of the MGJA, and yes, I do advocate for your participation in your local general general assemblies, I am not the official face or voice of the national state or county assembly. I also want to emphasize that I have no affiliation or uh, with other groups who try to mimic the lawful assembly, such as the American States Assembly, National Liberty, Life Force, Beacon 37, Russo, Tactical Civics, or any other organizations outside the Michigan model. I've also never participated in any fraudulent status correcting associated with AVR, Bobby Lawrence, and David Strait and Company. And furthermore, I do not endorse or advocate for violence. And additionally, I am not a part of any cult or not a Freemason on any level. And please note that the opinions, thoughts, and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own, unless otherwise reference so there all right so um i want to start off first off with a clip of tucker carlson this was something that was kind of circulating around telegram uh explaining kind of what living life should be all about and he talks about his uh experiences about when he moved from the city and moved out of the city and how significantly different that was from a um from from basically a how do I want to say it from a connectivity standpoint of how he connected with people where he moved to versus how he didn't connect with people. In fact, also I wasn't that prepared. Let me put my plug my phone in real quick so I can play that audio. It's actually a really good piece that I think a lot of people should listen to because this goes for, I think for anybody as we get more, you know, tied to our technology and our phones, listen to what Tucker Carlson says on this. This is actually pretty brilliant. I like what he says here. Four years ago, I moved with my wife and some of our many children to a rural area. And the very first thing I the very first thing I noticed when we left the city was every time you would stop and do something, whether it was, you know, go to the store to get something to drink, go buy food, go to the post office. The very first thing that would happen is someone would talk to you. You know what talking is like to a person is different from texting. People speak and you look at their faces when they talk. And I hadn't had this experience quite as often as I did when I moved to a rural area and they would talk. And they would say things that weren't necessarily relevant to my daily schedule, like, how are you? How are your dogs? Stuff like that. 
And my first instinct was, man, I gotta go. I've got texts to do. I have a lot of emails to return. I don't have time to talk to this person. And I'd feel jittery, like you're getting in the way of my schedule by making human contact with me. And then I realized after a year or so, that is the whole point of life. It's not to return texts. It's to have relationships with other people. That is the whole point of life. That's where all joy comes from. It doesn't come from money. It comes from being in relationship with other people and with God for that matter. And one leads to the other. And I had as, you know, as close to the earth as I tried to live while living in a city, I completely lost track of this. That was a very, very good um, piece of advice that he was talking about, or at least a good story that he shared. You know, that, that's part of the, the human experience, if you will, right? Having relationships with one another, right? Having that time, that connectivity with one another. And good morning, Nancy. Speaking of connectivity, she just chimed in. Um, you know, and, and I agree with him wholeheartedly because nowadays, as technology keeps ever increasing in its um, advancements, and the abilities, uh, you know, to do different things like we can bank from our phones, we can stream movies from our phone, we can, you know, scroll Facebook and, you know, you know, apply for a bank loan all at the same time on your phone. I mean, there's so much stuff that we can do on our phones, check emails, right? We can check our ring cameras to see who's at our front door delivering a package. There's so much that we can do on our phone. So most of everybody and yes, I can be included in that too. We're always looking down, right? Rather than looking up at who's ahead of us. And so, you know, today, like we have a barbecue today, we are having a cookout. Hopefully the rain holds off. It's a little cloudy, but we're having some friends that are within the MGJA, some of the good members, the good standing members. Um, but, you know, I'm just, we're having just basically some friends over and we're just having a cookout and just seeing each other and connecting. You know, it's just, that's the kind of thing we need to be doing. And while we're connecting, I think I need to make sure I put my phone inside the house somewhere, you know, not in my pocket like it always is, you know, because you don't want, I don't want to always be distracted. You know, just like when I go to work, you know, my job that I work at, they have a very strict no cell phone policy. You cannot have your phone device. Uh, obviously no texting and driving like that's a clear no-no obviously and a law but they don't even want to see it if a camera goes off and there's a camera event in the truck even if you're not touching it even if it's not lit up if it's seen on the camera in the camera frame somewhere even if it's in your bag or on top of your bag or on the on the seat that still is deemed a distraction in their eyes they don't they want it out of sight out of mind and that's what i think we need to do as people, um, you know, when we connect with other people around us, we got to let other people know that they matter. And, and this is a great big thing for parents and children, because uh, I know sometimes Haven could get a little upset. Um, actually, a little upset's an understatement. She can get very upset if her and uh, or me and her mother are on our phones. And we typically can tell, you know, she's looking for that attention. And so we have to make sure we be cognizant of that because we need to make sure that our children. And again, it's an area that I'm working on, so I'm not perfect at this. But we need to make sure our children, especially our children, they need to know that they come first above all things. Um, so I thought what he said there was just outstanding. What a great what a great lesson. So today, I kind of want to take you on, I'm, you know, forgive me if this ends up being a little shorter than normal. I might have to cut the sh show a little short because I do have a lot to do. Um, Nine o'clock sharp, I have to be off of here. Uh, I got to get some vacuuming done. My wife has been cleaning the house all day today because, like I said, we have company coming over. I got to run the store. I got so much going on today. So um, I am going to try to keep this relatively brief, but I'm not going to shortchange you guys because it has been a couple of days because we were celebrating my wife's wonderful birthday, by the way, which happy birthday to my beautiful wife. <laughs> yes. The happy belated birthday. So I'm not going to tell you how old she turned because I don't know if she really wants that. But uh, yeah, we we uh, we pretty much celebrated her birthday practically all week. Um, she kind of didn't have the greatest day leading up to her birthday. I think it was Wednesday. Um, it was a rough day. We'll spare the details there, but, uh, we were supposed to go out to eat. We were going to have our parents go with, but it was just such a, a, a 
just a shipwreck of a day we were like we're gonna try a different day <laughs> so we still have some celebrating to do but i wanted to wish my beautiful hard-working intelligent wife a happy a very special happy belated birthday now because it's the 16th um but yeah but you know that's kind of what we do in the jones household when it's birthday month it's birthday month so there's still stuff we're probably going to end up doing <laughs> you know um now today i want to take you oh and by the way babe i know you're listening thank you for the coffee tastes really good um i want to take you on a short and brief journey through history for a moment um, a journey of resilience and a testament uh, to the enduring spirit of the American people, which make up the National Assembly and, uh, you know, of we the people and <clears throat> and how the Michigan General General Assembly came about to being the first assembled and settled state. But before I do, there's a there's a um, there's a there's a audio piece that I thought was very compelling. It's pretty on point, pretty much on point. Um, let me play this. It, let's give this a listen to before I continue on with what I'm about to talk about. Masterfully planned and executed. During the Civil War, the Constitutional Republic abandoned Congress, which forced President Lincoln to issue martial law. At this time, the Republic was taken over by foreign insurgents who replaced it with the United States of America, Inc., in all caps, in 1871. A corporation that had the same name, the United States. What better way to replace it without anyone noticing that they just got turned into a business and commercialized? Now, this corporation was purchased by the banking powers behind the Fed in 1912. The Fed was created in 1913. Why did this happen? Well, the US was bankrupt when we sold the United States to foreign banking cartels, if you will. Salvage liens were placed on every asset check this out, including the people of the new federalized states. Now let's fast forward to 1933. An income tax was placed on the people to pay these foreign bankers who own the IMF, which owns the IRS. Look into what the IRS actually is. Who is the IMF owned by? You got to follow money. Who funds it? It's the same people that own the United States Inc. Same few families and they're not American. So when I say foreign insurgents, that's what I mean. So 1933, USA Inc. goes bankrupt. An income tax is placed on its people. In other words, you and I were turned into property. Look it up. We were turned into cattle and we were collateralized in order to turn us, humans, flesh and blood, into a means of paying off a massive debt. But the problem is, is that while you are technically a person, you've entered into contracts that you're completely unaware of such as your birth certificate, social security number, etc., that are all saying, I consent to being collateralized. You're living as property, as opposed to living as a blood and flesh natural being. On paper, you are property. You are a corporation right now. You might be hearing this and thinking, we're fucked. We're property? Are you kidding me? And that's true. And property doesn't have rights. But here is both the blessing and the curse. There are multiple of you. Just like there's multiple United States of Americas, sleight of hand, remember? Hat do they want to wear? There are multiple of you. The insane irony in all of this is the fact that they are actually now liable for all of your alleged obligations, aka debts. That's what a debt means. You can play a wrong move in chess and still win the game. And commerce is chess. Their greatest attempt to set us back actually is their greatest weakness. How can we owe debt if the United States is liable all of its property. If we're its property, then it's the United States burden to pay our debt. And that is exactly what the law says. I'm gonna leave you guys with two different codes that I highly recommend you look into. First is gonna be the House Joint Resolution Act 192. And when that occurred, the dollar was turned into what is called Federal Reserve debt notes. If we're being asked to pay debts, but all we are given from the system is debt notes, AKA fiat money, to pay back those debts, how can we pay a debt with a debt? I just want you to sit with that. They never gave you lawful money. They never gave you gold. They never gave you silver. The other side of it is looking into 18 USC 8. 18 United States 8. You're going to come to find out that that's literally telling you that the United States is liable for all debt. All of your debt, the United States is liable for. How can you pay a debt? Notes. Don't let that go over your head. They already got paid. 
whoever's coming after you, saying you're a debt, whatever, they already got paid. Why would you be paying it twice? Common law, a completely different, higher level set of law that comes from God, the creator, is for a natural blood and flesh man. And yet you have been following legal law your entire life. That's right. This guy is on point. Now, the only thing he was a little bit incorrect on is saying you are a natural person. No, if you actually look up the word person in, you know, uh, your Noah Webster's dictionary or your Black's Law dictionary, um, a person is a persona. It is a fictional character. It's a character. It's not you are a man or you are a woman. Why do you think there's such a sudden push on pronouns and, oh, there's 88 genders? No, you're either a man or you're a woman. That's all there is to it. That's what the Holy Bible talks about. You're a man or you're a woman, okay? They don't say, you know, when they dress people, they don't say, they say man, they say woman. They don't say they, them or anything like that. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But anyways, but he's very much on point. Now, <clears throat> kind of, you know, kind of tying in with what I wanted to talk about here. See, in the year of 1213, Okay, back to how we get here. All right, for the show title. Back in the year 1213, there was a claim, a claim by the Pope and the Vatican through the what was called the Treaty of Verona. And they owned that that here's what the treaty treaty said that they owned all lands and all souls in the world. Now tell me, how outlandish is that? Now listen, if you remember what that guy just said and then you just hear what I just read from the Treaty of Verona, that sounds pretty familiar, right? Ownership of the people ownership ownership but it was in 1215 that a document of profound significance emerged to counter this claim which was the magna carta which is one of the reasons why i'm reading it bit by bit after you know toward the end of each show because the magna carta asserted the principles of justice and liberty that still resonate with today now jumping ahead to 1604 there was a thing called the virginia company and it was chartered and owned by the crown all right, the, the royal crown, and that's when they entered world stage. Now, what is the Virginia Company of 1604? Okay, well, in 1604, a group of leading politicians, businessmen, merchants, manufacturers, and bankers, they all met in Greenwich. And then in the English county of Kent and formed a corporation called the Virginia Company in, can't even talk, in anticipation of the imminent influx of white Europeans, mostly British at first into the North American continent. Now its main stockholder was King James I. And the original charter for the company was completed by April 10th of 1606. And so this and later updates to the charter established the following. So the Virginia company comprised of two branches, the London company and the Plymouth or New England company, which were you know called the pilgrims of American historical you know, uh, that we've all been taught, you know, the historical myths that we were taught. Right. Um, but these members of the second Virginia company branch were actually called the new England company. And so the pilgrim society, still a major white, excuse me, a major elite grouping within the Illuminati. People need to realize that and understand that. <clears throat> now in 1620, they granted a group the opportunity to settle American land, launching a journey of colonization. Now, now came 1776, which is a year that is etched in history. And that's when the Declaration of Independence was drafted, right? And it was shared with the world, declaring our sovereignty. And then you get to 1877, where the Articles of Confederation were created, shaping the path towards self-governance. Then you get to 1783. Now, this is where the transformation occurred, because the Virginia Company changed its name to the United States of America. And so in 1789, you had visionaries of men that gathered at Constitutional Hall in Philadelphia, crafting what we call the federal constitution, which again is a mechanism, if you don't forget, okay, to bind and restrain our public servants by usurping their power, or, you know, for, from, from usurping their power and making sure that they stay within their lanes of granted power by the people. And it designated to form a more perfect union. That was the whole purpose of it. And then when it was done, as we all know from our history books, a reporter asked Ben Franklin, about the government that they had created. And he replied, I gave you, we gave you a Republic if you can keep it, but see what the history books keep out is that after he said that Robert E. Lee, who was standing behind Ben Franklin said, and if you cannot keep it, you will end up with a democracy. Think about that, a democracy. See, this was the beginning of the great American experiment, experiment to see if the people can self govern. See from this day forward, 
the Vatican, London, and the Crown, they all worked to subvert and take back the colonies. <clears throat> now, these words resonate with us today because they're a reminder of the great experiment that we are still embarking on today. We are still embarking on today to see if we, the people, can truly self-govern and not have a big mother government above our heads. All right. Now, but challenges emerged on this path because in 1812, the British soldiers burned down our nation's capital because they attempted to eliminate the original 13th Amendment, which was the Titles of Nobilities Act, which barred anybody holding a title of nobility from holding public office. So what's that mean? Well, if you're a bar card holding lawyer or attorney or, you know, had some sort of allegiance to another country, you are not lawfully allowed to hold office. See, the British may have lost a battle, but they plotted another strategy. That's called infiltration. Now, we're all very familiar with that in some of our assemblies because we still got some of these scumbags in there. Again, the British Accreditation Registry equals the bar, okay? These are bar card holding lawyers and attorneys, again, with an allegiance to a foreign power, and they were tasked with subverting our government from within. Now, keep in mind that, you know, as of 2021, roughly about 40%, now this is a rough estimate, but roughly 40% of Congress are bar card holding lawyers and attorneys. Now, again, this is a rough estimate, but that's about 40% of Congress that instantly are should not be qualified or are not qualified, according to the Titles of Nobilities Act, to hold office, according to that act. Yeah, and yet these scumbags are still fraudulently trying to take our offices. Those are our seats. And this is a huge, significant problem. And keep in mind that these estimates are very modest and conservative in nature. I'm sure it's probably higher, but we're just, you know, we're, that's about the rough estimate, 40%. Now, in 1861, what happened in 1861? Well, something very big happened in 1861. That's when Abraham Lincoln became president in violation of the Titles of Nobilities Act. And then on March 14th of that year, 11 southern states walked out of Congress without setting a return date. Now, this is considered signed die. Now, signed die is a phrase that means without a day or indefinitely, and it is often used in legal and parliamentary, parliamentary context to indicate that a meeting or session has informally concluded without a set date for it to reconvene. Okay. Now, this implies that the informal adjournment is open-ended or without a specific future date scheduled. So this marked the day that our Republican form of constitutional government be became vacant. See, America had no government, and all actions taken in its time going forward were de facto and fraudulent. So this is technically when our nation was placed in a what I would call a constitutional crisis. See, that's when all the offices of our country should have been suspended until everything was corrected, but it wasn't because in 1863, Lincoln issued General Order 100, putting the military in charge until the people could return to self-governance under the Lieber Code which again is a form of military law. It's martial law. See, we've been under martial law since 1963 and a lot of Americans didn't even know it. See, now you fast forward to 1871. Well, what happened in 1871? Well, that's the act of 1871, right? When the District of Columbia Organic Act established Washington, D.C. as a corporation to provide essential services. See, the Constitution for the United States was then altered to the Constitution of the United States, all in capital letters. And there are so many people that will argue that fact, but these are people that I think, again, they are actors who are trying to, again, infiltrate subtly from within. There's people, I'm not even going to name names, but certain people out there that like to poo-poo this. They're like, no, that's not even a big deal. That's not even doing anything. Uh, yes, it does. It, words matter, okay? When you change the Constitution for the United States of America and change it to the Constitution of the United States, that's a big problem. And I have a show on that. Uh, you can go on my website, www.hishardline.com, go to uh, assembly link, and there is uh, one title you'll find that says Constitution 4, not of the United States. Uh, go check it out. I explain it further there if you're wondering what I'm talking about. But see, the, the thing is, is that our story doesn't end with challenges, though, right? Because it's about resilience. It's because in 1928, the War Department issued Field Training Manual 2000-25, which not that long ago, um, a friend of ours in the assembly who's in the Missouri Assembly, Oscar, he just got done going through reading the Field Training Manual 2000-25. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can also find that on the website, national-assembly.net. Um, it's a very, and I also did a podcast series, 17 part series that actually reads through it too. So there's a lot of different areas where you can grab that recording. 
But again, the field training manual offers a path on how to return a Republican form of constitutional government. Now, in 1932, uh, yeah, 1932, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, <clears throat> excuse me, ordered, he ordered the destruction of the manual and all negative references to a democracy with no explanation. Now, fortunately, some of the copies of this manual survived. Well, then 1945 arrived. And that's when General Douglas MacArthur initiated what was called Project Blue Book. Okay, and no, that's not to be confused with Project Blue Beam. Okay, but it, it was you know considered it was called Project Blue Book, and it was uh, training. It was it was it was about training exceptional individuals in nation building and the Constitution, particularly within the military. Okay, so these men, these this would be like equivalent to your special forces, right? Your special forces, um, because again, special forces didn't kind of really get becoming a thing until Kennedy's uh, era of presidency. But this is kind of like what special forces would be because these men would go on to form the restore America plan. Now let's fast forward all the way to 2009. Now those who studied under general Douglas MacArthur launched the resettlement of counties and states through the original jurisdiction assemblies. Okay. Now Michigan general general assembly, which is also known as the MGJA history by adjourning the Congress, that was signed I on March 14th, 1861, and brought it forward to 2010. And so, and then 2011 were issued to the offices of POTUS, the Michigan governor, and others. And these notices remain unanswered to this day. Now, in December of 2011, the MGJ issued 21 requisitions to key authorities and the military. Okay, now about 14 or 15 of these um, requisitions are. Um, completed so there's like six more five six maybe seven more at most that are still an active um active being taking place right now now in 2018 the mgj established the national assembly which was a school to teach others how to replicate their success okay and then we get into 2019 that's when the alaskans joined this movement forming the alaska general general assembly legacy right to continue reestablishing our de jure form of republican form of government so basically in closing, you know, I want to just emphasize that we're we're not citizens for one. All right. <clears throat> people think we, we they keep calling it. We keep calling ourselves citizens. We are not citizens. We are the people. We are sovereign. We are not citizens. Citizens are public servants. OK, public servants equal citizens. OK, unless you are a public servant, you're not a citizen. And according to the and that's according to the laws of nations and other de definitions out there. But we are the people and we have a power to govern ourselves as well as the governing public servants. Right. This journey through history reminds us that ordinary people like you and I, like you and I. That when we unite by a common purpose, we can achieve achieve extraordinary feats and we are the stewards of our republic and we must keep the flame of freedom alive for our generations. This is why we do what we do. Let me take a sip of coffee real quick. Now, I have a funny feeling I'm going to run out of time toward the end of the show. We're probably going to 86 the Magna Carta reading for now, okay, because I did have a part three of notes. We're probably going to push that off. But what I'm going to read here, this is very important, folks, okay, on how we got here. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to push off the Magna Carta reading um, out to the next show on Sunday. Um, yeah, tomorrow. So I'm getting my days all mixed up. I keep thinking today's Friday. Um, so that's what we're going to do. So again, we're just going to stick with Job chapter two here in a second. But I want to begin by reviewing a little segment real quick of this 2018 timeline of Michigan General General Assembly uh, before I play this next audio uh, by Dave from X22, which highlights something very interesting and very compelling toward the tail end of one of his most recent shows. In fact, Destry pointed it out to me and he forwarded it to me. He goes, hey, give this a listen to toward the end of the show. I'm like, oh. That's very interesting. It almost seems as if it's a call to action to get involved um, to not just the people, but a call to action for people to get involved in the assemblies or for the assembly of people. Very interesting. We'll give that a listen, but I want to read something from the section of the MGJA timeline first. Now, you can find this again on michigandejure.org, or you can find it also on nationalassembly.net, but you can find this timeline on michigandejure.org. <clears throat> now, this is what the section of our timeline reads. Um, where are we at here? There we go. Month of October 2012, we reseated our Federal House of Representatives and Senate from 1861, October, and this was October 21st, 2012. 
with successions, we established a de jure Republican form of government with an interim president of the United States of America. The purpose, the federal level body has a purpose to orchestrate elections under the oversight of the military per the orders. Listen to that again. The federal level body has a purpose to orchestrate elections under the oversight of the military per the orders. Okay, next purpose. This establishes a federal superior government over the de facto. That means the people now are in charge of these people at D.C. officially and formally on the national and international level. Okay, and again, it continues to say that this gives our military a civilian authority to provide direction. Let me reread this again. I don't know if you heard that. This establishes a federal superior government over the de facto, which gives our military a civilian authority to provide directions. Oh, snap. Yeah, you heard that right. Next purpose. Any action the military takes against the de facto are covered by the orders of the de jure Republican form of government and civilian authority. Well, what are those orders? Those are the 21 requisitions. Next purpose, this cannot be considered as a military coup. It will be considered a military upholding their oath to defend the Constitution and we the people from all enemies, both foreign and domestic. Now, now take a look back at Executive Order 13848 and Executive Order 13818, I want to say. It just goes to show you and why these orders were extended by, quote unquote, Biden, again, not the real Biden, because Biden's dead, okay, but the act Biden, okay, you you go into the executive orders, and you really pay attention, and if you really look, and you know what you're looking for, it's very easy to see this. Now, continuing on that, okay, which by the way, there's a video, an hour and 20 minutes that I plan on covering here in a little bit here and there, uh, but on national-assembly.net, go, um, because I can imagine there's going to be some people listening to this. And I'm like, Biden's dead. No, I see him on TV all the time. Okay. Um, what I want you to do to those people who think that go to national assembly.net and on the front page, there's a video that was posted. I highly recommend you watch it. It's about an hour and 20 minutes long. Um, it goes into exceptional, exceptional, outstanding detail on why this is because on Biden's inauguration was technically a formal military uh, uh, funeral for Biden. Okay. And it's explained in that video. I highly go recommend listening to it. Don't take my word for it. Do your research and go check it out. You'll see. Um, so anyways, the last part of this, um, section of the Michigan timeline here, uh, says then this was all sent registered email, including a cover letter. Okay. Well, with a new declaration of independence, orders of the United orders to the United Nations, uh, the Navy equals secretary of Navy, council of Navy, joint chiefs of the Pentagon. And this was all done October 21st, 2012, with no rebuttal. Again, certified email, registered email means that we have a receipt. We know when they open the email. We know uh, the very second timestamp that they open the email. Okay. So. Let me play this next audio before we get into the reading of Job chapter two. Okay. Um, and depending on how much time we have, like I said, I have to be done nine o'clock sharp. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. But um, let me get to this audio. All right. Now, listen to this. Very, very, very interesting. And remember, this has been planned from the very, very beginning. It was never attempted before. And Joe Rambo, again, on X, continues with the pause and adds on a new post showing that everything that we're seeing, everything that's being done was never attempted before, and it needs to be done to take down the deep state players. And like we said from the very beginning, and going back a couple days in in a a previous report, the keystone is made up of the military, POTUS, and the people. So we needed a military-civilian alliance in all this to defeat the deep state players. Did you hear what he said? A military-civilian alliance. Let's go back to that order or the purpose in that in that timeline. Again, because with successions, again, because we re 
established and reseated our Federal House of Representatives and Senate from 1861 on October 21st, 2012, therefore establishing a de jure Republican form of government with an interim president of the United States of America. Again, it allows us to orchestrate elections under the oversight of the military per the orders, and this establishes a federal superior government over the de facto, which gives our military civilian authority to provide direction continuing. And this is what the Post says. This is Post 4511, June 24th, 2020. This has never been attempted. Use of general public to counter the narrative propaganda push by control media. Analysis, start to now, indicates situational awareness, decoupling of the MSDNC control of information channels 1 through 99 of general public expanding at massive pace. Attacks indicate can be defined as loss of generalized information control. Need to expend ammunition, muster network to defend and coordinate attacks to counter military-civilian alliance. And Joe Rambo responded to all of this and said the following. Do you all understand what this means? This has never been attempted. You and I, we the people, are being weaponized. Mass population awakening to destroy the fake news, propaganda, weapon of the Nazi world order. The Great Awakening is a military operation. Military-civilian alliance. Now keep in mind, what did he just say? What did you just hear him say? He said the, 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 the American people, the people being weaponized. What does that mean? It means that because here, okay, <clears throat> let me just explain this in very simplest terms. The people in this country within the last hundred years have been so brainwashed and so uh, propagandized, okay, decade after decade after decade. We're talking at least three generations minimum, maybe four, all right? I don't know. What do they consider a generation? 20 years? I don't know. 30 years? I, I don't know. But at least three, four generations, all right? <clears throat> We are in a stage right now of being unbrainwashed, right? They are slowly reversing what we've been fed and taught. See, again, you can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, I get it. No, there's a thing called Stockholm Syndrome, and you probably are familiar with it, where a captor or you know, a, uh, what do you want to call it? A, uh, a hostage or a captor of some sort, uh, someone who's in a hostage situation has some sort of feelings and, you know, sympathy and a bond with their person that kidnapped them. Right. Or their abuser. Right. They, they end up, uh, developing some sort of special bond. That's what the American people have, have had over the last several decades with this usurping government. They have been stripping us of our rights and taxate, you know, taxing us to oblivion, basically stealing from us, beating us down into the ground, putting their boot on our throats. But yet we're still in love with our government. Oh, yes, government, please take care of me. I would love my Obama phone. Yes, I would love Obamacare. Yes, I would love my entitlements. Please, please, please. But you, you could tax me all the way to oblivion. And please, oh, I love when that boot is on your throat. Oh, you remind me of a Nazi soldier. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm not saying that to be funny. That's what the American people's mindsets are. They are so used to being abused by this de facto government. And so what's happening now is a reversal. It's a reversal, which is why we are seeing more and more information come out. Drip, 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 flood, drip, 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 flood in the mainstream. Okay. That's how that has to work in order to get people to understand what's happening. So that's what he means is that the American people are being weaponized by the military, basically, because this, again, we always heard say these people will not be able to walk down the street because once the American people is fully awake, with the exception of five or 10% of the people that will never be awake, but once the majority is fully awake, these people will not be able to walk down the street. They will no longer be able to do their bull crap dealings and, and 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 do what they've been doing for the last 20 years on us continuing trump called it the pause how could i make it any more clear for you all this does not mean sit back and wait it means stand the f up and do whatever it takes to strengthen the weapon of choice we the people it will be easier to do what must be done because everyone will agree with us donald j trump 
be the tip of the spear, friends. And yes, Trump needed to show everyone this. Trump needed the people on his side and will be a lot easier to do when all the people are on his side. And that's why he said we're entering the final battle. The final battle is 2024. He wants to show the deep state and the world that he has the people. He has the strength. He has the military civilian alliance. Now he has the ability to do what he set out to do. Remember, going back to 2016, he told us what the plan was. He was going to drain the swamp. He was going to arrest these people. Yes, and right. I want to I want to read something that Oscar wrote here again. One of our good friends in the assembly in the Missouri General General Assembly, um, just a great man, great friend. <clears throat> he just wrote right here, Hillary, uh, aka Hillary Clinton. But Hillary said, if he and this is true, this was in an email. Um, I forgot who it was. I can't remember if it was Huma Abedin. It was somebody that she emailed. But her quote: "If he, meaning Trump, gets elected, we will all." hang. That's right. That's right. That's what these people are going to do. Listen, I posted something. Let me find it real quick. Hold on. I wonder if I can find it real quick. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I wrote something. I I put this on. Uh, Where is it? Hold on. I'll find it. I know I posted it here. Yeah. So I put, why has it got to be so small? Stupid small print. So I I wrote something that I've been working on for a minute. Listen to this. Okay. So again, I'm not really a poet, but well, actually we'll read that in a second. Let's finish this audio. He needed the people to be behind him. He needed the strength of the people. He needed the people to see the truth. And once the people see this, they then can make the logical decision in 2024 and then move to arrest these people. And that's exactly what we are seeing today. That's exactly what is happening. And I do believe we are now in that direction. Now, that doesn't mean the deep state's not going to try things. I do believe Trump, the patriots, they want them to do all these things because it wakes more and more people up as we approach 2024. And once people are fully awake, the people then will make that decision. There'll be a red wave of all red waves. And the world will see that the system that we've been using has been manipulating the votes and the paper ballots showed the actual votes of the people and the people, the majority want Trump to destroy the deep state. That's really what that is telling you. The message the people are going to send to Trump is we want you to destroy the deep state. And he's going to take the message and actually destroy the deep state because the people told him what to do. He is the elected person that we want as president. The people are screaming at him, destroy and arrest those responsible for all of this. And he's going to turn around and say, as you wish, and he's going to do it. The Patriots are in control. That's right. The Patriots are in control. Um, so let's see, I'm looking at the time, trying to keep up with the time. Okay. I got to be off in 15 minutes, but real quick, let me read something off here that I posted on telegram. All right. It says in these times of unveiled truth, no more disguise, awakening minds see through deceitful lies. 1871's twist in our nation's tale will break free and see our course. We will not fail. From London, Vatican City, D.C., their power, immense bankers, lawyers, their shadowy defense. They aim to oppress, prop from our strife. United we stand against the darkness of life. Time for change. No more being confined. The truth unwound in our hearts intertwined. Inflation's grip, it's tight. Inflation's grip is tight. Taxes and wages on the rise. Together we prevail under open skies. Reassembling states, our creed, restoring freedom in this journey we proceed. The military waits for our call to action, reclaiming our birthright, lawful satisfaction. Common law guides us. Justice will prevail. Expose their treason. Let truth set sail. No more sedition. Dark secrets unfold. Accountabilities here. Their stories are told. Q said, nothing can stop what is coming. 
We're the people, the storm, our hearts beating and drumming. With our voices loud, we'll rise, stand united. The people's power demands ignited. Bold and firm with God by our side, facing reprobates. In this fight, we'll confide. Crimes against humanity, justice will prevail. To the gallows, they go, their darkness unveiled. Demon flesh, they'll face their fate. We'll stand strong. It's not too late for justice, for freedom across this great land. United we rise with a firm, resolute stand and a pen in hand. <clears throat> That's just my thoughts. So let's get into Job chapter two. I hope I hope this makes sense for a lot of people. All right. Again, this is this this. It's complicated, but it's also simple at the same time. You just have to know what you're looking for. That's why this platform exists. That's why people like Oscar and others and and Industry and and Lisa and Georgia. That's why these people, uh, Bill Hermanson. That's you know Josh Lehman. That's why these people exist to try to help people understand this. All right, Job chapter two. This is where Job loses his health, unfortunately. Now, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves. Uh, before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord. Wait, did I already read this? Hold on a second. Wait a minute. Could have sworn I read this. Hold on. Let me just make sure. I, I'm getting a brain you-know-what here. I thought I already read this. No, 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 no. Hold on. Oh, no, this is the right one. Okay. Just seemed like it was repeating, I guess. But again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Then Satan said to the Lord, roaming and said, uh, from roaming about the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to the Satan, if you could, no, I have read this. What is going on here? Hold on a second, guys. I'm sorry. My notes apparently have not updated from my phone over to think hold on a second guys i'm so sorry boy that's kind of a little embarrassing i thought i had made my notes there no i guess this is correct uh no this is correct yeah it just sounds like it's repeating itself okay i'm just going to continue um however put forth your hands now and touch his bones and his flesh and he will curse you to your face so the lord said to satan behold he is in your power only spare his life and then satan went out the uh, from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while uh, sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women, as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came, each one from his own place, Eliphaz and Temanah and Bildad, uh, the Shuhite and the Zophar of ne uh, Namath Namathite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. Now, when they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe and threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with firm with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him. For they saw that his pain was very great. And that is a reading of Job chapter two. Sorry about that, guys. I was getting a little confused because the beginning of Job chapter two, and I'd read it a couple times over. You'd imagine that I would already remembered that. But yeah, just when I read something and it sounded like it was repeating, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, so here's the thing. In, in that lesson, <clears throat> that lesson, we can definitely sympathize with today's world, right? Because it's not very uncommon for us to face hardships, uh, just like Job did in ancient times. Uh, Job was a man who had everything, right? He was like, not, not to, I'm not trying to make a political or anything, but he was like Donald Trump of his time, right? Like he had everything. He had wealth, he had health, he had a loving family, but one day tragedy struck and he lost it all, right? And we can relate to life's unexpected challenges. We have those moments, right? 
And sometimes it feels like we're being tested just as Job was. I know my wife feels like that on a continuously, you know, continuous basis. She's always saying, I feel like I'm being tested and I hate it. I'm over it. Um, but what can we learn from Job's story? Well, number one, maintaining integrity. Because Job was described as a blameless and upright man. When adversity struck him, he didn't lose his faith or integrity. He taught us that no, well, I shouldn't say he taught, but he teaches us in this case that no matter what life throws at us, holding on to our values and staying true to ourselves is very crucial. And then the second thing would be the role of adversity because Job's suffering wasn't punishment from God, even though it seems like it would be right, but it's a test of his faith. See, it's a reminder that adversity can come into our lives without warning and sometimes stay for what almost seems like an indefinite period of time. And again, but it's not as a result of our own actions, but to help us grow stronger, right? It's a forging of, of of the forging of metal, right? Um, And and, and I know it's frustrating. Um, I I see with my wife, because I tell you, that poor woman, it seems like life is always testing her. and she just doesn't get a break. That's why she is an amazing, strong woman. Um, it's very frustrating, right? And sometimes, you know, you question God on why things occur in your life the way that they do. You, you just, God, like, why are you letting this happen? Right? Like, like I said, my wife's been feeling like this for the better part of her life. I mean, ever since she was young, I mean, from having pulmonary embolism, blood clots in her lungs to being in ICU and almost dying. I mean, she's had quite a few things. She had blood poisoning, I think, for one moment that it, I can't remember the exact details of the story, but she's had a good, significant uh, amount of pushdown in her life. You know, and now, and, and so anyway, but back to Job, right? A friend of, um, <clears throat> uh, how do I want to say this? Um, so a friend of ours was actually just t- saying that, you know, when evil recognizes light in somebody, that that means that you know uh, i don't want to put this when evil recognizes the light in somebody right and they recognize that they're going to be a man or a woman that's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the world that will bring about big changes in the world right like we are going to be a big influence on other people darkness will oftentimes assault those people the heaviest and I would tell you that it sure has been seen, you know, it, it has been one trying time for us over the last couple of years lately. And this is probably why my wife gets tested more times than anybody that I know, because she is a light. She has a big golden heart, just like Job, right? Very strong in her faith, very strong in integrity and morals, and is one that cannot be shaken. I think this is why she gets tested. I think this is why evil has to push her down. Now, one day, I think one day, she's going to have the ultimate reward, just like Job does at the end of his story, which we'll get to that when we get, you know, a few weeks down the road of the reading here. But, you know, the other thing we can learn here from Job is support in tough times because Job's friends came to be with him during his darkest hours. And see, in our modern world, reaching out to friends and loved ones during difficult times is just as important, and together we can find strength and comfort. Now, I would even argue that during a tough and challenging times is when you can see just how true certain friends are. Who sticks by you through thick and thin? I'll tell you, we don't have a whole lot of people that really stick by us thick and thin. A lot of fakies out there. And the fourth thing you can learn from all this is resilience and faith. Again, something that Job and my wife both exhibit. And not just my wife, my father-in-law too is one. It, it would be just like Job here, right? Because Job's response to his wife's you know, suggestion to curse God and die was profound because he understood that both good and bad come from God. This teaches us to remain steadfast in our faith, even when we don't understand why we are suffering, right? Because yes, I know it's very easy to just throw your hands up and just call it a day and be like, that's it. I'm over this whole God thing. This is crap. I'm over it. It's easy go around and sulk and bask in your depression when tough challenging times fall on our shoulders and at least in, in the least uh, most least opportune moments of life i get it it's easy to do but these moments are times when pressure turns a little grain of sand into a beautiful pearl that will end up being you know uh, a beautiful you know almost priceless jewel when it's all said and done like my wife was just saying, it's easier to walk away and cave and harder to stand tall and face it. it. She's absolutely right. 
you know, just like the pressures of life and, you know, life's challenges will develop a stronger character, just like that sand developing a pearl in a, you know, oyster, the pressures of life will eventually turn into strong character and a resilience against all things in life. And that's including. So I guess I, I, I conclude with all of this by saying that in our own fast paced world that we live in, we can draw valuable lessons from Job's story, right? We may not face exactly the same challenges, but the principles of maintaining integrity and finding support and holding on to our faith remain relevant, right? Through life's trials, we can emerge stronger just as Job. And so when you face difficult times, just remember Job's story. Stay true to yourself, seek support, and hold on to your faith. In doing so, you'll find the strength to overcome adversity and discover a deeper sense of resilience and purpose in your journey through life. And so with that, I would like to end that on prayer. Like I said, we will continue doing a reading from Magna Carta. I was thinking about doing a reading of the Magna Carta as a separate thing. I was going to do just uh, little snippets of recordings and then just dropping them, not doing them live, just because it just it pushes the show way too long compared to everything else I want to do with the reading of the Bible and everything like that. So I was thinking about doing that. So just maybe possibly be on a it might be only be like 10 minute snippets, but just still in case you want to you know, listen to that separately um, over a podcast, almost kind of like how the EDU uh, segment was. OK, so anyway, so we're going to end in prayer because, again, it is coming up on nine o'clock. So, Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for all the many blessings that you bring in our lives. And we thank you for uh, just all that you do. Um, there's just so much we can we can be thankful for. Um Thank you for the lessons that we read here in Job. We do need to remember that we need to not only have the patience of Job, but we need to continue in maintaining our integrity and in maintaining our you know, true self during times of adversity. And, you know, we know that life is not always peaches and cream. We understand that. We know we're not always going to be dealt a good hand in life. I, we understand that. So during those times, we just ask that you be in our heart. We ask Christ Jesus, your Holy Son, to be in our heart, to be with us, to help us remain firm, steadfast, and uncompromising as we proceed forward in our journey. We pray for the special intentions that are hidden in people's hearts and all the unanswered prayers that people are still crying out to you for. Please deliver miracles of healing and answered prayers to all those out there, people who are dealing with infertility, people who are dealing with cancer, people who are dealing with Lyme disease, you name it, financial hardships, uh, recovering from surgeries. We pray for my stepfather to have a quick and speedy recovery uh, after his hip replacement and for my mother-in-law and for my co-worker's uh, wife who's dealing with uh, severe stage three breast cancer. We pray for all these people. Um, Father, there's just so much that we can ask here, but we, we don't want to look at you as like a wishing. We're just asking, please hear our prayers. And we hope that you can answer these prayers in kind and in a certain time frame that is acceptable uh, in your, you know, to you. And we pray all these things in your Holy Son's name, Christ Jesus. Amen. So, that is all we got for today, folks. And I hope you all have a fantastic day, a fantastic night, if it's that time of the world for you. And we will be back here tomorrow. Remember, like I said, I'll be doing a reading of, I think, of the Magna Carta going forward. Um, we'll be doing a reading of the Magna Carta, I think, separately. It'll be dropped as a separate audio piece. And it might only be 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. So I hope you all have a great day or night wherever you're at in the world. And God bless. We'll be back here on the air tomorrow.
Remember, ladies and gentlemen, Remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are firm, we are steadfast, and we are uncompromising. The enemy has crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times, and it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for families. We gotta do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show. Don't forget to check out the website, www.hisheartline.com. And if you want to know more about how to get involved with your assembly, go to www.national-assembly.net. That's www.national-assembly.net. It's time to get active, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Joining us here at His Heart Line. We'll see you back here next time.